Welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner. Pleasure to be with you today, another Sunday. It's 1 o'clock in Los Angeles, where so many of our friends are, having lived there for, gee, over 30 years. We now find ourselves in Maui, Hawaii for the last couple of years. Happy to be here. But we have listeners all over the United States and even a few in Europe. I got a call a few weeks back from Bangkok, Thailand. I think they must have been listening in the middle of the night or very, very early in the morning. And this is a fun thing to do, uh, to use the Internet in this way. You can participate a little later in today's program, uh, either on the uh, net or by telephone. You can listen and participate either of those two ways. You're, you obviously have to go to the net to get the choice. And then uh, if you choose to use the telephone, you can use either of the numbers posted or click on the link that says local numbers to find an area code near you. We have telephone numbers all over the United States. And if you're still paying for toll calls or long distance by the minute, you might want to choose an area code near you to join this program live and ask your question over the telephone. Uh, when we get to that part in about 30 or 40 minutes, uh, press star 2 on the telephone touchpad to signal that you have a question. That will raise your hand, and uh, I can unmute calls one at a time. That's pretty cool. And if... Uh, you just want to leave a question or a comment by text or just say hi and let us know you're online, you'll see a text box on the page in front of you to the left of the main screen under the controls. All the controls you need are on the left. They're pretty self-explanatory. There's also a chat room for you to duck into that is available only during the webinar. So you can check that out, too, if you'd like. I want to remind you also before we start, we have a new social net for listeners of this program and, and those who listen to Steve and I and FocusedPassion.com and the premium audio we do over there. And, in fact, anybody who and everyone who is interested in human potential, in self-realization, in um, personal and spiritual development or we like to call it growth, success, and fulfillment. And uh, it's a social net. It's a lot like Facebook or MySpace, except it's set up for, as I say, people who have this particular interest in personal growth. And we'd love to have you join. We're brand new. I think I've only mentioned it maybe once on this podcast. And uh, so check it out. The URL, the address is very similar to my home website, which is theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of the address, so after the W is theagelesswisdom.com. And then the social net is at theagelesswisdom.ning.com. That's Nancy, I-N-G, Ning, theagelesswisdom.ning.com. And uh, sign in and sign up there. That's a community, really. That's the way you can connect to other listeners of this program. Oh, my goodness. Uh, post, uh, there's an MP3 player there. You can share audios, um, you know, music or spoken word, classes, whatever. 
uh, you can post JPEGs and videos. You can message each other. You can post events. There's a blog. There's a, a discussion group. And, of course, it's all free. And uh, so check that out. All right. And I'll tell you more about Focus Passion at the end of the program today. Let's get going with our uh, our topic du jour, which is Mr. Spock's dilemma. And as I said in the newsletter uh, this week, I, uh, I'm going to make a statement that would not be too popular at a Trekkie convention, that's for sure, but uh, it's, a good <laughs> it's nevertheless a good way to start off. And that's that um, Mr. Spock was an emotional cripple. And his belief that by repressing, suppressing, or oppressing his emotional feelings, he would be somehow more intelligent and more logical is, in fact, very illogical. And I've never heard anybody challenge it or talk about it that way. And the truth is, many of us have that same belief. And it is not commonly discussed that it's not that emotions are a weakness, it's that ignoring your emotions is a weakness. To face your feelings, to face the hurt, to face the fear, is in fact a hero's journey. That's where the strength is. If you ever see a person cry easily, a woman or a man, that is a strong hero. When you see people refuse to cry or admit their pain, their hurt, or even celebrate, some people are so repressed they won't even express their positive feelings, that is a weak person. They have the potential, of course, to be strong. It's not who they are as a weak person. It's what they're doing that makes them weak. They turn away from their fear. And that's what Spock did. Spock had a fear of fear. For all of his bravery and the idea that emotional suppression exalts or somehow improves logic, it's not true. And I hope to make that case clearly today uh, to challenge you to check it out for yourself, do a little research or follow-up, and uh, uh, find out if this is not an accepted concept or not. And uh, then you can look at one of the great, uh, gosh, what would you say, literary icons. I really admire uh, what Gene Roddenberry did with the Star Trek series. I I don't know if you could call me a Trekkie or not, but I sure watched all of those programs, Second Generation as well, and the original uh, programs with Kirk and Spock and McCoy and Scotty. Uh, I think they're, some of them are Shakespearean, just absolute classics, um, archetypal uh, concepts, characters and storylines, and really significant questions uh, uh, people who watched that show uh, 35, 40 years ago still talk about it. Yeah, I remember that episode where one guy was half black and half white and the other guy was the same except it was reversed. He was white on the black side and black on the white side. And <laughs> I think one of those guys was played by Frank Gorshin. Um, and the Tribbles and, you know, there's just so many great classics. So I'm a great admirer. 
And uh, I liked the character that Leonard Nimoy played, Mr. Spock, a lot, immensely. But like Data, who was a robot, an android in the second generation, neither had feelings. Both are sort of pulling on the Pinocchio velveteen rabbit idea of how do I become real. I think that's what Spock was really all about. I think he's Pinocchio. Hold on a second. Let me have some coffee. You think about that. Hold on. Yeah, Pinocchio, you might say, well, what, Spock lied and his nose grew? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Pinocchio wanted to be a real boy. And, uh, of course, the way you become a real boy, depending on what literature you read, to become a real person, you have to either love very much or be loved very much. And, uh, you know, Data was always trying to get emotions. He he had an alter ego that had emotions, but they were all dark and evil. Do you remember that episode? But he wanted to get the full range of emotions so that he could manage his emotions. He wanted to be real. Imagine an android, a robot, who has an aspiration to be real. And the Velveteen Rabbit, I don't know if you remember that from your childhood or not, but the Velveteen Rabbit wanted to be real. And uh, it was it learned along the way that it needed to be loved very, very much in order to become real. The idea that love makes things real or love is the only thing that is real is what makes this relevant to what we're all about here in the Mystery School, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. The mysteries are always about love, and wisdom is love. I saw a great documentary on Buddhism the other day on PBS. I recommend it, narrated by Richard Gere, and it's really quite good. And they they talk about the Buddha's admonition that the three things we really need in life to escape suffering are um, uh, moral discipline, a practice of mindfulness, which is simply paying attention, and... um, well, it's not so simple, actually. <laughs> can be simple. Mindfulness and um, wisdom. Moral discipline, mindfulness, and wisdom. And wisdom is do what your heart tells you to do. And if there's a conflict between the head and the heart, well, if it's largely an objective thing out there in the world, you might want to rely a little more on your head. But... Certainly the more personal it becomes, the more you need to rely upon your heart. And that's what wisdom, capital W, wisdom, really is. Hence we have the ageless wisdom, uh, perpetual wisdom, eternal and timeless, infinite. uh, Mystery school, mysteries, always about love. So we've got Data, the Velveteen Rabbit, Pinocchio, they all want to become real. Spock was real enough. In fact, he was half human and half Vulcan. But again, the storyline has him without emotional feelings. Now, because in the storyline, you'll remember, because he was half human, he had access to his emotional feelings. As I understand it, Vulcans have long ago in their history learned to repress, not to balance, not to create a uh, 
uh, a nice, calm, and tranquil emotional state to manage your emotions. But as I understand it, to repress, oppress, or suppress, to ignore and deny, to quash and hold back, to to cash away, <laughs> and do their best to eliminate all emotional feelings. That would include love, as well as the fear-based feelings, right? And so, every once in a while, Spock would encounter his father in the series or somebody else who would remind him of this proud Vulcan ability to be emotionally flat. And yet, Spock's mother was an earthling, a woman who obviously had a full range of human emotions. And so the human side of Spock wanted to express itself emotionally. And the dilemma throughout the series and into the movies as well, I think there's five or six Star Trek films that followed all these series. Uh, Spock's dilemma, as we're exploring it today in this mystery school, is that... um, he wanted to learn to repress those emotional feelings, and because he's half human, has a greater challenge than other Vulcans. Again, because they had learned to do that long ago, it's sort of like in their DNA now, right? But Spock is struggling with it. Well, again, I will. My argument today is Spock is an is an emotional cripple, or was an emotional cripple. And, again, there is no strength, my challenge to you, lest you be confused, is that there is no strength whatsoever in refusing to face your fear, in refusing to cry, in refusing to admit anxiety or stress or nervousness or worry. One of the things that we practice in the human potential movement is how to worry elegantly. I call it worry once. Since every positive thinker, if they're intelligently a positive thinker, is going to worry. The secret is to do it efficiently, effectively, uh, as I say, elegantly, a single time. Do your due diligence when you worry. Check it out. Find out. Do you have anything to worry about? Right, run that what if scenario. That's what a positive thinker is supposed to do. In fact, go to the wall with it. You might as well look at the worst case scenario. What would happen if, whatever, right? And check it out. And then say to yourself, "Well, that's pretty ugly, but I could handle it. And if I can handle this worst case scenario, and I know what I do." then anything short of that I could handle, certainly, if it comes to that. But because of the law of attraction, I can't dwell on the negative or I tend to create it, right? So I can look at the negative and explore it, walk all around it, look inside it, underneath it, over the top, (laughs) checking out all these possibilities, but learn from it. Make any changes that need to be made in your plan, and then let go of the negative, and from that point on, you look forward at your goal, right? Every once in a while, you like driving a car, you look close to the bumper, and then you look at the dashboard, and then you look at the horizon, 
and 80% of your focus is on the horizon. And then, as I say, every once in a while, you look just in front of the bumper and then at the dashboard, and then 80% of the time you're back out on the horizon. Problem solving, uh, attaining your goals and your desired solutions and results is pretty much the same thing. You have to stay positive with your eye on the goal. You can get off your position. Your plan can change. You can approach it from a variety of points of view once you know exactly what that goal is. So we we shouldn't be afraid of the negative, right? There's much to learn from not just negative thinking, properly done, appropriately approached. But my argument today is there's much to be learned, maybe even more to be learned from looking at your so-called negative feelings, your fear-based feelings, as there is to be learned from your negative thoughts, the fear-based thoughts. Remember, there's a major difference between thoughts and feelings. Um, a couple right off the top, uh, thoughts are objective. They tend to be about the world around you. Uh, when you think about yourself, um, you become very critical and uh, uh, negative, you uh, debilitate and weaken yourself. Um, there's not a whole lot to be understood about yourself with thoughts. I don't want to overstate it because I don't mean this exclusively, but primarily thoughts are for the world around you. They're objective in nature. Feelings, on the other hand, are a second form of intelligence dedicated to the self and when you project your feelings onto others it doesn't work very well thinking about you or believing your feelings are about others both of those are backwards essentially backwards you can't really have a feeling that's about another person even if an individual or a group stimulates an emotional feeling it's your feeling it was evoked from you they stimulated it it was their speech or their behavior that, quote, made you feel that way. But the feeling comes out of you. It's very intimate. Your emotions are yours. They're very personal, right? Very intimate. They're much closer to the essence of who you are than your thoughts are. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Thoughts are a way to keep yourself at arm's length, at least, away from the true self. <laughs> no, you stand back. <laughs> but when you feel your emotions, positive or negative, now you allow the approach of the true self, the self that sees love and beauty and bliss and joy and, and nirvana everywhere you look. Same world, right? Same people moving around through it, same circumstances and events, but instead of being filled, uh, filled with fear, uh, you see the love and the light. It's all a matter of attitude. And that approach requires you to understand that, yeah, you can think about yourself, but primarily your mental nature, your thoughts are objective and about the world around you, other people, other things, while your feelings are personal, even if stimulated by others. I know the argument. If he hadn't said that and she hadn't treated me that way, I wouldn't feel like this. I understand. They caused or stimulated the feeling. But 
the nature of the feeling, the quality of the feeling that came up, whether it was anger or hatred or 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 love or joy, is about you. So it's much more about. I mean, think of it. If I said the same thing to ten people, what are the chances they would all experience it in the same way? You see. An emotion is an interpretation, not a mental discernment. There is that. You can think about your emotions. I don't want to go too far into this right now, where they intersect, where they overlap. I just want to basically bifurcate and admit there is an overlap, but say, having said that, essentially thoughts are objective, emotional feelings are subjective, just like physical feelings are subjective. You know, they can be done to you by other people, pain or pleasure, but the feeling is coming from you and tells you about you. Right. The second thing, uh, the really important distinction between thoughts and feelings is that thoughts can be wrong. <laughs> uh, this is a breakthrough for a lot of people. They say, wait, you mean to suggest my emotional feelings are never wrong? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Thoughts are wrong often. You've, we've all taken tests where you thought you knew the right answer here on number 12. Turns out it was the wrong answer. Maybe it was right, but it wasn't as right as another answer on the multiple choice exam. You had to have the most correct answer and uh, the teacher tricked you plumbing the depths of your knowledge with their tests they tricked you and you got it wrong and you protest they say I thought I had it right sorry you had it wrong and we all know the feeling of just not knowing something and we think and think and just can't make sense out of it and uh So thoughts can be wrong. Emotions, what do I mean by emotions are never wrong? Well, they're symptoms. Again, just like physical pain. Have you ever had a physical pain that was wrong? You could say, well, what about phantom pain? What about psychosomatic pain? Like a veteran loses his leg or her leg, and then they uh, report for months or years afterwards that they, they have phantom pain in that leg their toes itch and they don't have a leg much less a foot, much less toes but nevertheless I would argue that that there is an etheric body, there is an energy body and pain is pain it's a symptom and it tells you something about yourself more to the point physical pain proves that and um Emotional pain in the same way is never wrong. How could your physical pain be wrong? How could even the phantom pain, as they say, I think is correct in some way. I mean, it's real enough, right? And uh, so your emotional pain. Why do I feel this way? Well, I don't know why you feel this way, but I know the feeling's not wrong. It's a symptom It's as accurate and truthful as any physical pain or pleasure, any symptom you feel uh, uh, physically or any physical feeling is accurate. (laughs) 
and so it is with the emotional nature. Now, because we tend to discern our emotions with the mind, we can make a mistake in interpreting the meaning of the feeling. All right? Following? We can be confused when we try to use the mind to figure out what the emotion says. The solution is to limit the amount of understanding of your emotional feelings that you approach logically or reasonably. For there is an alternative. There is another way to understand a feeling. And that's simply to sit with it and watch it. And it reveals itself to you intuitively. Hold on. I broke down and bought a uh, bought a package of real Kona coffee here. It's very expensive, but every once every once in a while, I have real Kona coffee. So um, you understand what I'm saying about this? There is logic, but there's also intuition. There is reasoning, general to specific, deductive logic. Break it down. Go from the concept to the little itty-bitty pieces, just like ordering off a menu or deciding which airplane flight you're going to take. Most of our decisions are deductive. You start with a large set of information, and you eliminate the negative uh, until uh, you get down to two or three choices, and then you grab one, right? Order off a menu. Same thing. You eliminate what you don't want to arrive at fewer and fewer and fewer choices, and then you grab what's left. Well, I guess I'll have to settle for this, right? I knew I should have gone to the other restaurant. They have, <laughs> they have better choices. That's the nature of logic. There is something called inductive logic, but it's difficult to use properly, and uh, I'd rather talk about that in another Another, it's if-then statements, inductive logic. Francis Bacon coined the concept, and it usually degrades into stereotypes and generalizations, and it's difficult to use. The vast majority of what we call thinking is deductive in nature. It's general to specific. Intuition, however, is specific to general. Intuition bubbles up like those little fizzy bubbles in the champagne or a soda. They bubble up. Intuition bubbles up and bursts into your awareness. An overarching, conceptual, big picture. Right. So the alternative to dissecting your emotional nature, which Spock was afraid to do, with logic is to allow your emotional feelings to have their way with you, but in a mindful or meditative state. That's the secret. To let your emotions have their way with you, to come upon you, to take you over, to yield to the feeling, to face your fear, move at your fear, even embrace your fear in order that it 
reveal itself. Remember, everything that hurts emotionally, this is real important. You might want to write this down. Everything that hurts emotionally is supported by fear. You might call it anxiety or worry or apprehension or stress. Let's use the F word, gang. It's all fear. Everything that hurts emotionally, everything that confuses you, every heartache, broken heart, sadness, depression, loneliness, alienation, contempt, anger, hatred, everything that hurts emotionally, that is not peace, love, and joy, is rooted in fear, and your fear is almost never about danger, but rather about what you don't know. And so an emotional feeling, since that's personal intelligence, anything that hurts emotionally is about something that you don't know about yourself. And the only way, then, to really learn about yourself or to understand yourself is to look at your emotions and watch them without judgment, free from the mental nature, and allow them intuitively to have their way with you. That's the way I like to say it. All right? And by the way, you're built for this. I, I know the fear of fear. Uh, there's nobody that uh, gets to the level of emotional discernment that I'm describing here today without facing some pretty major fear. But again, this is the hero's journey. This is where you find strength in women and men. They're sensitive to their emotions. They're not afraid of their fear. You might say, well, Spock wasn't afraid of his fear. Well, for whatever reason, <laughs> maybe he's just trying to please Daddy uh, but he, he refused to look at his fear and pretended that he was somehow more logical. Now, I anticipate that some of you are already thinking, wait a minute, Michael, wait a minute. I know exactly what Spock's talking about. Because there are times when I get emotionally disturbed. I get emotionally upset, and reason is the first casualty. My intelligence goes right out the window, and I say things <laughs> that later I can't believe came out of my mouth, and I do things that are so regrettable that I just wonder who I become when I suffer this emotional intoxication of allowing, as you say, Michael Benner, allowing my feelings to have my what what is it have their way with me right well wait a minute yes if you expect to find intelligence in disturbed emotions even disturbed positive emotion i mean great hilarity <laughs> uh could be out of control but primarily we're talking about negative emotions here and a disturbed uh, stormy set of emotions is not going to reveal its intelligence to you. In order to access EQ, emotional intelligence, your, your emotional quotient, 
and really, truly understand what your emotional feelings reveal about you as a unique individual. You must calm first the emotional nature. And this is the allegory of Christ walking on water, how we are supported by our feelings when they're calm. When you calm the waters, they support you. The choppy, stormy water, uh, you know, as an allegory for uh, a turbulent emotional nature, emotional turmoil, does not support you, right? There's two stories in the four Gospels about Christ walking over water. They're quite different stories in, in the details, but the message is the same. And you know, if you've ever spent much time in the water, especially fresh water like a swimming pool or a lake, that even floating on your back is pretty challenging, but the secret is deep relaxation. The secret to floating on your back is letting go and relaxing and allowing yourself to be supported by the water. And as you're practicing that, you find it's a little difficult because your body wants to gather up tension. And the part of your body that begins to tighten the muscles is the part that sinks, right? <laughs> suddenly, suddenly your left side goes down or your right leg or your head falls back. It's not muscular tension that keeps you floating. It's the absence of muscular tension that allows you to float. It's easy in salt water. It's easy in the ocean. But in pool or a freshwater lake, you've got to be really... So imagine how safe and relaxed you have to be, how much faith you have to have in the support of the water as your emotional nature to walk on the water. Now, whether this really happened or not doesn't matter. That's the nature of religious texts and holy books. And we can see what happens in all the religions when people get too fundamental and start taking things too literally. They start picking up guns and shooting people they disagree with. So we've we got to be careful of strict literal interpretations of what is obviously metaphor and allegory. Maybe Christ did actually walk on water. Maybe it's a story. Christ never wrote anything down. The Gospels were written 70, 80 years after Christ allegedly died. Um, Christ died at some point. We don't know whether it was on the cross or not. But don't ever take religious texts literally, and don't believe anything that you read or hear from me or anybody else unless it rings true in your heart. You've got to learn to, to trust yourself. To work this allegory of emotions as water, or sometimes in in alchemy and mysticism, water is or emotions are represented not so much by water as by mercury. Um, mercury is a, a magical element. In uh, in alchemy, there's a trinity of elements: sulfur, mercury, and salt. Whereas sulfur corresponds to the father aspect, 
the salt, salt of the earth is the appearance, the physical world, and mercury is the changeable, the mercurial uh, heart of that trinity of elements that alchemists um, play around with to promote refinement and healing. Sulfur, mercury, and salt. But again, that's allegory. You're not supposed to take this all literally. Why mercury? Because like water, it's changeable. Mercury is a metal that behaves like a liquid. Um, It flows like water, like emotions. Emotions, it could be like going down the stream where one minute you're in nice, calm, smooth water and the stream is wide and then you come to a narrow place and maybe the stream uh, descends a little more steeply than before and suddenly there's white water and boulders and the water moves fast and makes a loud sound and and you're frightened for a period until you move through the rapids and back out onto the calm water again. Um, like emotions in that way. That water can change from solid to liquid to gas and back again. Changeable in that way. To the ancients, this was fascinating, that water could be ice or a liquid or a gas. They could then precipitate down as a liquid, and if it's cold enough, turn into ice again. Well, that's pretty amazing. right? Not everything can do that, change its form from a solid to a liquid to a gas and back again, right? So that was another reason to choose water, if not mercury, as an allegory for the emotional nature. But also the idea that if you were walking on water, or if you're even sitting in a boat, and the water is choppy at all, if you're emotionally disturbed in any way, you're not going to be able to see into the water. It's just even a little bit of wind ripple on the top of the lake is going to make it very difficult to see into the water. It's got to be as smooth as glass, the surface of the water. It's got to be calm and tranquil and peaceful. Take a deep breath right now. And as you exhale, relax. Ah. And imagine the water becoming smooth as glass, you see. Well, now, look over the edge of your boat. Since you don't believe you can walk on water, look over the edge of your boat, and the water is clear as glass, and now you can see into the water. When your emotions are calm, they reveal themselves to you. Don't you see? Further... Not only can you see deeply into the water now, see into your emotional feelings now that they're calm, but what stands above you as a spiritual being can be reflected on the surface of that water. By looking at your emotional nature, you not only understand yourself through your emotional feelings as a unique individual, but you begin to glimpse the sun, the S-U-N and the clouds in the sky, or the S-O-N, your own Christ-Buddha nature, your oversoul, 
so to speak, which you can think of as everywhere equally present, above you, behind you, within you, but obviously the model of a spiritual hierarchy being above you is a pretty common model, so that's a nice allegory. Understanding yourself emotionally not only reveals the ego self through the feelings, but the higher self, the wisdom and the love, the conscious awareness that is the essence of who you are, that is revealed at the same time. The emotions, much more than the mind, is the portal to higher consciousness. Now, sometimes people get confused because, well, said simply, we don't have, we haven't really separated emotions out as a field of, of, of science. We, we have mental science, which includes emotions. You have, you know, a, a doctor of medicine is a, a, or, or a physiologist, a doctor of the physical body, and then you have a mental health specialist who deals with thoughts and feelings. So we haven't really broken that out yet. We think of, a, of emotions and emotional feelings often, too often, I'm afraid, as being a function of the mind, a subset of the mind. Well, that's because there is a larger mind that we are all part of. There is metaphysicians and mystics like to say there is but one mind at work and all of us are plugged into that one mind so in that sense your emotions are of the one mind spiritually when you study buddhism there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that there is but one mind and that everything is mind it's all mental even your emotions are mental in the Hermetic philosophy of ancient Egypt, the same thing. You have the Trinity. You have thoughts and emotions and behavior, a lower correspondence to the divine Trinity of Isis, Horus, and, or no, it's Osiris, Horus, and Isis from the top down. Uh, king, prince, and queen, just like father, son, and Holy Spirit, mother aspect. You have that same kind of thing. But again, the idea that there's just one mind or one thing, the Hermeticists, the old Egyptian priests would say, just one thing at work, only one mind. So we're talking about two different ways of mind, the all-inclusive mind. You know that single eye in the back of the dollar bill? That's what that is. The one eye, the, the, the eye made single the the eye of God that is everywhere equally present and that is all-powerful and all-knowing. Uh, that single eye representing the one mind, the one life, the one thing, which is really the no-thing, everything. That's <laughs> where it all comes together. And then mind as man's mind, you see, the mental nature of that which generates thoughts. And today we're breaking out of that, the emotional nature, and saying, you know, emotional intelligence is very different from mental intelligence. Your emotional feelings are very different from your thoughts. 
I hope I get some questions from you guys today about this, because I just think this is so rich and so wonderfully exciting. And the fact that we can, uh, unlike Mr. Spock, poor old Mr. Spock apparently never figured any of this out for all of his logic. Uh, I put a quote in the newsletter this week uh, that demonstrates his dilemma. He's talking about how odd it is that that often wanting a thing is superior to having it. Well, this is a an ageless wisdom, if you've ever heard one. Why is it? The nature of desire. Again, a Buddhist would jump up and, and be happy to tell you all about the suffering that comes from desiring in the first place. And if you would but uh, follow the Eightfold uh, Noble Path, the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, you could release your desire and thereby transcend all of your suffering. So, uh, love to get some uh, some uh, real questions. If you just have uh, comments, that's that's fine too. I love the participation part. But uh, whether by text or telephone, let's go to those. And I'd love to hear from you if you're if you just want to say hi and let me know what city you're in. Um, uh, that'd be great, and uh, just you can see the text box or click on the link that says ask a question. If it's not there, it'll pop up. You can open and close it, and um, just put your comment or hopefully a question in there, and uh, your name, first name at least, and your city, and then be sure and hit the submit button, and then I'll see it. And if you're on the telephone or want to go to the telephone and ask your question that way, uh, which is my favorite, it's like the old days of talk radio in L.A., um, use any one of the numbers listed. There's a link that says local numbers. You can find an area code near you. Follow the prompts to get in. Enter that conference ID. It's really straightforward. See that conference ID right there in the page. Any one of these numbers, if you enter that conference ID and follow the prompts, you'll be able to join the uh, the web feed here. If you do both, if you, ever, <laughs> if you ever do both, you'll find out the web feed is delayed about 15 or 20 seconds. Uh, that'll surprise you. But uh, uh, if you're on the phone and want to talk, press once you're all hooked up, once you're ready to go, and it's confirmed by the, the robot lady, star 2 on the telephone touchpad will indicate to me that uh, you want to raise your hand and I can unmute you guys one at a time. It's one of the cooler features of this whole program. So uh, let me do a time check, see where we are. Yeah, it's almost the top of the hour already. And uh, let's go first to the uh, text questions and see who's online, who wants to say hello, who has questions for us. And we'll start with um, Valerie in Orange. I believe that's probably uh, that little community in uh, Orange County, California, actually called Orange. Hello, Valerie. She says, looking forward to this week's topic. I need a refresher course at this time in my life, and I hope I remember to tune in. Well, I hope you do too, Valerie, but... Again, even if you don't, there's always the podcast, and you can pick that up just about anywhere. Hold on a sec here. 
anything grown in volcanic soil is better. I don't know why. Minerals. In La Habra, Carol Pastel. Hello, Carol. She says, hi, Michael. Hello, Doreen. In Canoga Park, Phil Jaffe. Um, it says, logic, question mark, Spock, Nimoy. Now, this ought to be an interesting topic. So there you go. Mr. Spock, the emotional cripple. Uh, Phil says, did you know that in his last days, Leonard Nimoy maintained a website where he could uh, photograph groups of naked fat women? No, I did did not hear that, Phil. No, uh, then he said, uh, oops, he's still alive. Well, now that you've slandered Leonard Nimoy, you'll have to take that up with him. Uh, Lorelei in Tucson says, Aloha, Michael. Uh, been working the last three days, not playing hooky. Really good to be back, great class. Uh, I'm up for a big promotion, but my current boss doesn't think I'm ready for the next level, and I think she is influencing the company's decision to promote me. What's the best way to overcome this hurdle in my life, and should I just do what I can to prove myself? Thanks, peace, and love to you and Doreen. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, again, a couple of ways to approach this. Uh, my first impression, my first inclination is for you just to be as genuinely, hear my words carefully, Lorelai, genuinely and sincerely, no BS, right? But this is what you do best, genuinely and sincerely, be who you are, and be nice to this woman. Um, Send her a handwritten card. Uh, Don't go over the top. She'll know why you're doing it, but just little kindnesses. Do do more than is expected of you. Just little things. I'm a card sender. I like to send cards to people, unexpected cards, uh, for no reason at all. Birthday cards are nice, holiday cards. People love them. But when was the last time you ever sent a card to somebody that said, thought of you today and hope you're doing well? Right. Now, with a boss, you see him every day, you might want to look for a reason, like, uh, you know, send, if you have an opportunity, send her a little card or write her a little handwritten note that said, uh, thanks for your help today with such and such. That really meant a lot to me. Lorelai, you know, butter her up. But the secret is you've got to be genuine, honest, and truthful, right? It can't be some jive, you know, BS deal. Uh, the other comment that occurs to me, and this is sort of my Buddhist nature, is whatever happens, happens, and it's all good. And uh, it's our error to consider that um, we always know what's best for us, because we don't. There are many stories in philosophy about people enjoying some wonderful benefit that turns out to be a disaster, and then cursing some disaster that turns out to be a blessing in disguise. So rather than judge the situation, just watch it. Watch it unfold. And instead of thinking of it as any kind of power struggle or you against the world or you having to work with the world, 
Just watch it unfold. Let your magic come forward. Um, you know, just um, believe. Have faith, you know, and see what happens. If you really want that promotion and that 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 extra income or that extra authority or that additional opportunity, whatever it represents to you, believe in it. That's really more important than manipulating an individual, even if you did it sincerely. <laughs> so there's a couple of comments for you. Good luck with that. I know you'll do well in any event. Uh, Robert in Irvine, aloha, Michael. I have a real problem with time management. Do you have any advice for good time management? Uh, excellent class. As always, have a magical week of peace. Thank you, Robert. Uh, my favorite book on time management and organization is written by David Allen. I'm not sure if it's A-L-L-E-N or A-L-L-A-N, but it's David Allen. And he wrote a book that people refer to as GTD, and it stands for Getting Things Done. That's the title of the book, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Okay, GTD. Get yourself a copy of GTD, and uh, you won't regret it. Good investment and uh, some great advice. Um I mean, it's a very personal thing. If our outer world is disorganized in terms of time or in terms of space where we use our stuff, that's a reflection of what's going on inside. Now, I personally am a little on the messy side myself. I, 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 I ascribe to the rule I read once that if you can find anything you need, in less than 10 minutes, you're organized, okay? I can usually find it in less than five minutes. Um, not always. I could be better at being organized, but nevertheless, I think that's a pretty good rule. Even if your your office is a little bit messy, there's a saying, don't trust anybody with a clean office. If your office or your workspace is a little messy, well, fine. Can you find what you want? Right. First thing organizational people do is they come in and they take your stacks and they put them in vertical files. That's the big issue for most people. What do I do with these stacks? Well, you put them in vertical files. Do I really need to do that in a home office? Eh, maybe not. Maybe you just need one box for the really important stuff, you know, insurance papers and wills and... and um, bank documents and that kind of thing, a fireproof box or a safe and and some stacks, maybe that's okay. If you can find again, if you can find it in less than five or ten minutes, maybe you are organized. But uh pick up David Allen's book. I think you'll like that a lot. Getting things done. And uh Valerie says she remembered. Good. <laughs> she came back on, I remembered. Wonderful. Uh, let's see. Again, there is the podcast, and you can pick that up at the iTunes store. Have I, I haven't mentioned in a while. I really would appreciate you guys, if you ever have a chance or, or a little bit of extra time, leave a comment about this program as a podcast at any one of these sources. At the iTunes store, there's a place to comment. 
Of course, you have to have an account with iTunes, but that's no big deal. You probably do anyway. Uh, or Podcast Alley or Podfeed.net or Podcast Pickle. When they ask for comments, that what that does is cause other people to say, well, this might be pretty good. Then they listen to it, and your popularity goes up, and then people are even more likely to listen to it it has a snowball effect. So it might not occur to you, but it's really valuable for those of us who are producers and content providers. Uh, any, any, Hopefully a nice positive comment. That, <laughs> that's sort of what I'm looking for, you know. Uh, but, again, make it honest and truthful, and, and uh, that, really, that really helps out. Go to the iTunes store and... Leave a comment one of these days. And same thing with these other um, podcast providers if you get a chance. Really appreciate that. All right, let's go to the telephone, see who's on the line here. And uh, got a lot of callers today. I've got one person. I don't I have a city, though. Let's see who this is. Hello, you're on the Wisdom Seminar with Michael Benner. Hi, who's this? Hello? Anybody there? Because we're going, going, gone. Well, okay. Somebody wanted just to see if it worked, I guess. All right, so we'll mute them. Uh, let me hit refresh. And if there's anybody that wants to talk on the phone, you can do that. And what we'll do is our visualization exercise now. We always try to include a guided imagery meditation in every one of these classes. And then uh, I'll check questions and comments in the telephone lines afterwards, see if anybody has anything they want to add. So if this is a good time for you, get comfortable, <clears throat> pop up, prop up, pump up some pillows and Again, I don't want you to sit straight like a two-by-four. I want you to think of yourself as balanced so that it takes absolutely no muscular tension at all for you to sit straight up. You just balance. Do some shoulder shrugs and head rolls. and Get a sense of your head being balanced on your shoulders. And your shoulders are back if your rib cage is open and your body is aligned. And then take the first of several slow, deep breaths, inhaling ideally through the nose. Hold as you peak, and then exhale just as slowly, all the way out. And then continue to cycle around for three or four slow, deep breaths, each time a little slower as you become more and more relaxed, feeling safer and safer. You'll find it becomes easier and easier to breathe more slowly, just to slow it all down. And as your rate of breathing slows, your heart rate, your pulse, 
also slows. And your blood pressure normalizes. It goes lower. As the muscles around your arteries and veins and capillaries relax, feel the letting go from head to toe. And imagine blood moving with less resistance as you become more and more relaxed. By this time, you allow your breathing to find its own natural rhythm. Breathe naturally. Though you could take another big, full, deep breath anytime you'd like. And then allow your breathing to fall back to an automatic rhythm, an autonomic cadence. Put your attention on the space around your ears and feel that area sag or droop a little bit. As you relax your scalp, sometimes that's a little surprising to realize how much tension you carried in your scalp. You'll, You'll feel the space around the ears sag or droop as you relax the scalp and then the forehead and and your face. Feel the letting go in the neck and the shoulders. It takes no tension to hold your head up. You're nicely balanced above the spine. And slowly sweep down through the center of your being, imagining yourself as a as a path of least resistance that spirit precipitates into matter more completely and more easily as you become more relaxed, as a path for spirit to move through you and into the ground and so feel grounded now. Feel connected to the earth as if you were sitting in a beautiful sunny meadow or the comfort of a shade tree on a sunny day in a beautiful outdoor place maybe next to a little stream or a lake feel rooted to the earth connected as if as if you have roots that reach down into the earth But like a tree, you reach for the sky. And so you become a conduit or a medium, a path for the precipitation down of spirit through you and into the earth. You are the source of spirit moving into matter. Not the source so much as, again, the conduit or the medium, but it is because of you and your willingness to be open and receptive that you allow spirit to come through you. But not only are you grounded, you also become filled. And you sense a glow inside you. 
feeling gradually filled and full and fulfilled and warm and radiant by doing nothing other than sitting open and receptive to the life-affirming energies of the universe. Be the grail. Be the open cup. Be the cauldron that receives this downward impress. Stand receptive to above. Stand causative on the horizontal to the world around you as you radiate that love and harmony, that peace and truth and wisdom in all directions out into the world effortlessly. You are radiant as you allow this enhanced and increased flow of spirit, of energy, of life force, of chi, ki, kundalini, prana, elan, Holy Spirit, to move through you and out into the world. You become both as medium, the receiver, and the radiant being. Imagine yourself radiating effortlessly this love and peace. Imagine a lake with little waves or wind ripples and as those wind ripples begin to calm, the lake slowly becomes, on its surface, as smooth as glass, allowing you to not only see into the lake, but that which is reflected upon the surface of the lake, the, the sky above, the clouds, the sun, perhaps some trees that surround the lake are also reflected in the surface of the lake now that it's so tranquil and undisturbed. Allow your emotions in this peaceful place to similarly feel calm and undisturbed. And I'd like you to think of some sort of emotional hurt from just the last couple of days in your life. doesn't have to be a big deal. It could be anything in the last two or three days that hurt you. And unlike Mr. Spock, I want you to face it. Be the hero, the spiritual warrior, and face your fear. Look at it. Consider that a spiritual warrior carries a shield and a sword. 
like a physical warrior might. But the spiritual warrior's weapons are very different, for they harm no one. First, the shield of the spiritual warrior is made of love. It repels anything that is not love and truth and beauty and harmony and peace and justice. Anything that is love, truth, beauty, harmony, peace, justice is attracted and drawn toward you. If it is not, it is repelled by a shield of love, for love is magnetic. You know its attraction, and yes, you know its repulsion. The spiritual warrior also carries a sword of truth, a sword of truth that does not kill or injure or hurt or cut or let blood. The sword of truth is the sword that renders the veils of illusion and cuts through the miasma and the maya, allowing you to see more clearly the truth that's on the other side. And then, like all warriors, the spiritual warrior moves directly at the most frightening. In this case, doesn't have to be all that frightening, just something that hurts you in the last couple of days. And effortlessly, you just imagine yourself directing your attention toward that hurt and allow yourself to feel in your body that hurt from the last couple of days. That one particular thing that happened that caused you to hurt. And it's likely that if you have thought about it, you've thought about the person or the group, the circumstance or the event that caused this pain. You're trying to figure them out or figure it out to understand the stimulus you thought might free you. But the hurt is still here. You can remember it. It's fresh. It's from just a couple of days ago. And all of your attempts to understand the cause, the person, the group, the circumstance that created this feeling within you, have been for naught. And so instead, you breathe, take another nice, slow, deep breath, Hold as you peek, and then exhale slowly, very slowly, uh, and let go. Drop your guard, lower your defenses. You have the shield of love and the sword of truth. And allow this hurt from the last couple of days that you identified only minutes ago to come upon you. And look at it directly into the center of the, the, the heart of darkness, move into it. If it feels like a process or a path, go deeper and deeper 
into the darkness, into the fear, into the worry that this may reveal something horrible about you. March nonetheless directly at the heart of this darkness. Because you are the love and the light. You carry with you all the love and the light you need to expose the truth in this darkness. And if you come to a place where the path divides, like Robert Frost, take the road less traveled, go where it's the most frightening, for the best parts of you are always hidden where you've been the most afraid to look. So take that even scarier detour. and open yourself to an intuitive realization. You do nothing but allow it to bubble up into your awareness. Oh, I see. Or maybe a voice speaks to you now. Might be a picture, might be a voice, might be a a feeling in your body that reveals, or even a combination of picture, voice, and feeling in your body that tells you what this hurt says about you. Watch, listen, open yourself to this feeling while I remain quiet for just a moment. Let your fear consume you And soon it will begin to roll on the floor at your feet in ecstasy. If you but allow it to reveal itself. Ask yourself, is there more? What else? Tell me more about me based on this feeling. to yourself the next time I have a similar feeling how can I remember what I'm learning here today Presuming this is actually a blessing in disguise, for all things truly work together for good. 
Imagine holding your arms out. You need not move at all physically. Just imagine holding your arms out to receive the gift that this pain has for you as you understand it, as it is revealed to you. What is the gift that the universe has for you? It may be given and shown to you. It may be spoken to you. You may just have a feeling in your body. Receive the gift that the universe has for you. Trust your first impression. Always trust the very first impression. If nothing comes, breathe and relax and turn off your mind again and let it bubble up. There you go. And if you're not sure of the meaning of this gift, ask the universe. Embrace the gift with gratitude. The exquisite peace and joy of knowing that it certainly appears that all things do work together for good and that there's always a reason behind my fear, a kind of a symptom, a kind of a, a warning light. Anytime something hurts emotionally, I'm going to have to pay attention to it. Not cover up the dashboard and keep driving down the road worried about what's going to happen. Pull over to the side, close your eyes, breathe, relax. And unlike poor Mr. Spock, face your fear, the heart of darkness, to receive the light and the understanding. And bring this gift and this insight with you effortlessly back into the room as you reorient yourself to the sound of my voice and remember the room you'll see in a moment when you open your eyes. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, filling your lungs. Hold as you peek. And as you exhale, ah, open your eyes. Wide awake, alert, refreshed and rested, feeling fine, and back in the room with a full memory of what you just realized. Now, before you do anything else and before you launch yourself into the mental nature, thinking, figuring it out, remembering, understanding, all of that, hold on, slow down, take a breath. <laughs> Look back at the hurt that we've been talking about for 10 or 15 minutes, that hurt that happened to you a couple of days ago, and ask yourself, does it feel the same now as it did 15 minutes ago? Or has there been a shift? And if there's been a shift, how big a shift? And maybe you'll find that that hurt has totally gone away. There might be a little sensitive spot there. You might still be a little tender, a little raw, careful, ooh, a little sore. 
But the hurt went away. Because it was only there for the purpose of revealing yourself to you. It was just there to get your attention, don't you see? Just like your physical pain. And so what Mr. Spock failed to realize, you now know that the more sensitive you are to your emotions, the more intelligent you are. You can be more logical, not less. The secret is to manage the emotion into tranquility that it reveals itself to you. As long as you exist in the turmoil and the upset of the emotion, in normal consciousness, little will be revealed. And the mind will continue to take you to the circumstance or the individual, the event or the group that made you feel this way. And you'll waste your life trying to figure out these people so that you can prevent being hurt by them, by him or her or people like them ever again in the future. Well, that's not going to happen. And do you really want to live that numb in the world? I think not. Remember, you cannot eliminate emotions, repress, suppress, or oppress in a selective way. Some people just try to suppress or eliminate the pain and the hurt, but they want all the joy and happiness to come on through. Well, I'm sorry, but it comes through the same channel. And if you use muscular tension to restrict the flow, to numb yourself to pain, you will restrict to the same degree the flow of love and and light and life. All the warm, fuzzy stuff you've now restricted to the same degree. Do you see why love has to be unconditional? Because there is no love wherever you make a condition on it. (laughs) Unconditional love is a redundancy. There is no such thing as conditional love. If it has conditions, it's not love. It's hemmed in by thoughts, and it will be limited and suppressed. This whole field is burgeoning. You can make a career out of emotional intelligence... You don't need to be a psychotherapist or a social worker. Uh, There's all kinds of opportunities for people to invent, really, standing on the shoulders of the women and men who have gone before us, this burgeoning field of emotional intelligence. Read Daniel Goleman's work. Much of it is oriented toward the workplace. He did write a book, Emotional Intelligence at Work. But anything now, this field's 15 years old, almost, I think certainly 10 or 12 years old, so-called EQ. We now know your success is much more likely to be determined by your emotional intelligence than your mental intelligence. Do you know really smart people who are not successful? And don't you know some really successful people that, aren't any smarter than anybody else, but they just seem to have that kind of personality or charisma. 
People trust them. People like them. They always close the deal. They always get the gig. Yeah, that's emotional intelligence. Sort of an 80-20. Your success will be determined, generally speaking, about one-fifth, about 20% by your mental intelligence, your IQ, and your education. And 80% by how you relate to people and whether you like who you are. You can't like other people if you don't like you. You can't see the best in other people if you aren't looking for it in you. Right? This is the sympathy, the empathy, the compassion we talked about last week. It's compassion that connects us to every living individual. It's part of this body of emotional intelligence. Imagine Americans being emotionally intelligent. What a wild idea, right? <laughs> it's pretty exciting stuff. And if you're looking for a career or a career change, boy, this is a huge area to go into. You need to be your own expert in this field. If you read enough of the basic literature, it's new enough. Well, okay, um, let me check real quickly. I, don't, I still don't see any uh, any hands up. Let me refresh the phones, and that's okay. And then let me check the question and answers, and we don't have anything new there. Oh, yeah, we have Jason from Vancouver, beautiful Vancouver. Hello, Jason. Aloha. He says, Aloha, Michael. Can you help me find a constructive way to deal with a very controller? A controlling business partner. Uh, I love his company and their business, but I need to find a way to deal with his overpowering uh, personality. Wow. Um, send me an email, Jason, because, uh, you know, if you really want me to take that on, I'm going to have to at least begin with uh, a, a, an email, which I'll be happy to do. And uh, if that's not sufficient, then uh, we'll talk about a private session or something. I don't talk much about private sessions. I do them. I enjoy them. Uh, my clients enjoy them. I do whole courses of study over the phone. But um, this is all free, so I don't hype that stuff. Let's start with an email. Maybe I can give you a few tips for free. And, and uh, I'm sure you found of interest what I was saying to Lorelei, but... This is a partner. This is a different situation. So I'd like to talk to you about that. Is email me at my initials, mb at theagelesswisdom.com, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. Okay, now right back to you. And thanks for being with us, uh, Jason and everybody else. Before I let you go, I want to remind you that this webinar, the newsletter, um, the Ageless Wisdom website, the agelesswisdom.ning.com social community, the blogs, uh, all of this, the, the e-books, the, the free text articles, all of this free work is being supported by those of you who pay 99 cents a week to FocusedPassion.com for the premium audio podcast, Finding Yourself in Paradise. Now, I do that, studio quality with my partner of 35 years, Steve Snyder. You may know him from Live and Learn in Los Angeles or from 
Tech or Vistage, the CEO empowerment group that Steve's worked for for more than 20 years. But in any event, Steve and I do this premium audio podcast on personal development. It's not unlike what we do here on Sunday, except it's a conversation between two guys who've done a lot of reading and a lot of teaching and a lot of study in the field for more than three decades. These are great programs, some of the best stuff we've ever done, so we feel real comfortable asking for 99 cents. I mean, you know, that's pocket change, parking meter, coffee cup stuff. So three ninety-six a month, you can unsubscribe at any time. It's an open-ended subscription. You control when you subscribe, when you unsubscribe. Just use your debit card, your ATM card, three ninety six a month for four or five. Some months you get five of these programs. It's even less than ninety nine cents, really. And then, in addition to the wonderful extra programs you have from this Finding Yourself in Paradise series, studio quality, Steve and me together with guided imagery, we call them audio journeys. But you'll have the wonderful knowledge and good feeling of knowing you're supporting all of this other stuff with your your contribution. So check that out at focusedpassion.com. There's an ED in there, focused. The W's dot focusedpassion.com. At least leave a first name and an email address to get six free programs. Listen on the site or download them to your iTunes podcast folder or your RSS reader, whatever you want to do with them. They're yours forever, free, six complete programs at FocusedPassion.com. And then if you want to upgrade and add to your collection, you can do that for 99 cents. Okay. Hey, thanks again for being with us. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner, and aloha from Maui.